Darkcast Network. Out of the shadows comes the best of indie podcasts. The murders occurred near Munich, Germany, all by an unknown assailant. There were six victims, all found bludgeoned to death. The murders are considered one of the most gruesome and puzzling crimes in German history, and the case remains unsolved to this day. My name is DJ, and this is the Mythical True Crime Podcast. Hello and welcome to our show. If you like this episode and my previous ones, please consider subscribing so you don't miss any new episodes that follow. You can also help the show out by getting us new viewers by sharing. And now on with the episode. The Hinterkaifeck murders, which is what they're known as now, occurred on the evening of March 31st, 1922, almost 101 years ago. When six inhabitants of a small Bavarian farmstead located approximately 70 kilometers north of Munich, Germany, were all murdered. The six victims were Andreas Gruber, Keziah Gruber, their widowed daughter Victoria Gabriel, Victoria's children, Keziah and Joseph, and their maid, Maria Baumgartner. They were all frowned struck dead. The perpetrator or perpetrators, lived with the six corpses of their victims for three days. The murders are considered, again, one of the most gruesome. Four of the dead bodies were stacked up inside the barn of the property. The victims had been lured there one by one. Prior to the incident, the family and their previous maid reported hearing strange noises coming from the attic. It was so frightening, in fact, That's what led the maid to quit. The case remains unsolved till this day. The farm at Hinterkaifeck was built around 1863. Less than a year after the murders and the murder investigation, the farm was completely demolished, revealing additional evidence, including a mattock hidden under the attic with a penknife in the hay of the barn. Now, prior to these events, strange things began to occur in and around the Hinterkaifeck property sometime shortly before the attack. Six months prior to the attack, the family maid quit. It was widely claimed that the reason that she left was that she kept hearing strange noises coming from the attic and believed the house was haunted. Andreas Gruber uh, also found strange newspaper from Munich on the property in March that year. 1922. He couldn't remember buying it or even initially believed that the postman probably had just lost it. That was not the case, however, as no one in the vicinity subscribed to that particular paper. Just days before the murders, Ruber told he discovered tracks in the fresh snow that led to the forest of a broken door locked on the farm's machine room. Later during the night, 
They heard footsteps in the attic, but Gruber found no one when he searched the building. Although he had told several people about the alleged observations, he refused to accept help, and the details went unreported to the police. According to a school friend of the seven-year-old, Kazea, the young girl reported that her mother, Victoria, had fled the farm the night before the act after a violent quarrel and only hours later had been found in the forest. Now, on the afternoon of the murders, March 31st, it was a Friday, a new maid, Maria Baumgartner, had arrived at the farm. Maria's sister had escorted her there and left the farm after a short stay. She was most likely the last person to see any of the inhabitants alive. It appeared that in the late evening, Victoria and her seven-year-old daughter, Kaisea, and her parents, Andreas and Kaisea, were lured to the family barn through a stable where they were murdered one at a time. Now, the perpetrator or perpetrators used a mattock belonging to the family and killed the family with blows to the head. A mattock is uh, what looks to be a pickaxe or just a farm implement. The perpetrator moved into the living quarters where, uh, with the same murder weapon, killed Joseph sleeping in his bassinet and Baumgartner in her bedchambers. Four days had passed between the murders and the discovery of the bodies. On April 1st, coffee sellers, Hans and Edward Shorovsky arrived in at the farm uh, to take any orders from the residents. When no one responded to the knocks on the door and the windows and the back door, they walked around to the front and found no one. They had only noticed that the gate to the machine house was open before they decided to leave. Kazea was absent without excuse for the next few days of school and the family failed to show up for Sunday worship. Assembler Albert Hoffner went to the farm on April 4th to repair an engine that was requested earlier. He stated that he had not seen any of the family and had heard nothing but the sounds of the farm animals and the dog inside the barn. After waiting for an hour, he decided to start his repair, which he completed in roughly four and a half hours. Around 3.30 p.m. that day, Lawrence Schlittenbauer sent his son, Johann, and his other stepson, Joseph, to the farm to see if they could make contact with the family. When they reported that they didn't see anyone, Lorenz went and headed to the farm the same day himself with Michael Pohl and another man named Jacob Sigel. Entering the farm, they made the gruesome discoveries of Hans, his wife, their daughter, and their two grandchildren. Shortly after that, they found the chambermaid and the youngest member of the family, Victoria's son Joseph, who was only two at the time, murdered in their home. Now, the ages of the victims are as follows. Andreas Gruber was age 63 at the time, and Kazea Gruber was 72. Their widowed daughter, Victoria Gabriel, was 35, and her two children, Kazea, who was 7, and Joseph, who was 2. And then the chambermaid, Maria Baumgartner, she was 44 at the time of their deaths. 
The news of the family's murder shocked the town. An investigation started right away. Inspector George Reingruber and his department investigated the killings, with initial investigations being hampered by the number of people who had interacted with the crime scene, moved the bodies and items around, and even cooked and eaten meals in the kitchen. The day after the discovery of the bodies, court physician Johann Baptist performed autopsies in the barn. It was established that a mattock was used most likely as the murder weapon, though the weapon itself was not in the scene. Evidence also showed that the younger Kaizea had been alive for several hours after the assault. Poor thing, she had torn her own hair out in tufts while lying in the straw. The skulls of the victims were removed and sent to Munich for further examination. The police first suspected the motive to be robbery, and they interrogated traveling salesmen, vagrants, and several other inhabitants from the surrounding villages. When a large amount of money was found in the home, they abandoned the theory altogether. It was clear that the perpetrator or perpetrators had remained at the farm for several days. Someone had fed the cattle, they had eaten the entire supply of bread from the kitchen, and had recently cut meat from the pantry. With no clear motive but what gleaned from the crime scene, the police began to formulate a list of suspects. Now, despite repeated arrests, no murderer has ever been found, and the files were closed in 1955. Nevertheless, the last interrogations took place in 1986, before criminal Hofton Commissioner Conrad Muller retired. Now, there's some inconsistencies that I found while I was investigating these. Now, the inspection report uh, and then record in the court of commission, it was noted that the victims were probably drawn to the barn by the restlessness that was happening in the stables as results from the noises of the animals. In later attempts, however, it revealed that at least one of the human screams from the barn could not be heard in the living area. The one night after the crime, three days before the bodies were discovered, the artisan Michael Pollock uh, happened to pass by the farm, and Pollock observed that the oven had been heated by someone. The person had approached him with the lantern, and it blinded him somewhat, whereupon he hastily continued on his way. Pollock also noticed that the smoke from the fireplace had a disgusting smell to it. This instance uh, was not investigated, and there were no other investigations conducted to determine what had been burned that night in the oven. Now, on April 1st, around 3 a.m., the farmer and a butcher named Simon, uh, they were on their way home from Brennan, and they saw two unknown figures at the edge of the forest. When the stranger saw them, they turned around so their faces couldn't be seen. Later, when they heard that the murders happened on the Hinterkaffect farm, he thought that it was possibly that those strangers were involved. In the middle of May 1927, a stranger was also seen stopped at the residence uh, at around midnight. He asked some questions about the murder and then shouted that he was the murderer before he ran into the woods. That stranger was never identified or found. Now, I'm going to read off a list of the suspects, and we can see maybe formulate our own theories. 
Uh, the first person we're going to talk about is Carl Gabriel, the husband of Victoria Gabriel. Carl had been reportedly killed in Arras, France, by a shell attack in December 1914 during the First World War. However, his body was never recovered. And then after the murders, people began to speculate whether he had indeed died in the war at all. Victoria said that uh, when she gave birth to Joseph in her husband's absence, the two-year-old Joseph was rumored to be the son of Victoria and the father Andreas, who had an incestuous relationship that was documented later in court. It was also quite known in the village that he was raping his own daughter, and the town convicted them both of incest. After the end of the Second World War, war captives from Scheiropenhausen region had been released prematurely from the Soviet captivity, claimed that they have sent home a German-speaking Soviet officer who claimed to be the murderer of the Hinterkaifeck family. Some of these men later revised their statements, however, which diminishes their credibility. Many theorized that the Soviet officer might be Carl Gabriel, because one of those who that have claimed to see the man after his reported death testified that Gabriel wanted to go back home to Russia. Another suspect was Lorenz Schlittenbauer. Shortly after the death of his first wife in 1918, Lorenz was believed to have had a relationship with Victoria Gabriel and Father Joseph. Schlittenbauer became under suspicion by locals early in the investigation because it was his several suspicious actions that led to the discovery of the bodies. When Schlittenbauer and his friends arrived to investigate, they had to break the gate to enter the barn because all of the doors were locked. However, immediately after finding the four bodies in the barn, Schlittenbauer apparently unlocked the front door with a key and some say suspiciously, entered the house alone. A key to the house had gone missing several days before the murders, though it was possible that Schlittenbauer, as a neighbor would have, at least at least Victoria's potential lover, might have been already given a key. When asked by his companions why he had gone into the house alone, when it was very unclear if a murderer might still be there, Schlittenbauer allegedly stated that he went in to look for his son, Joseph. It is known that Schlittenbauer had disturbed the bodies at the scene, thus potentially compromising the investigation. For many years after, local suspicion remained on Schlittenbauer because of his strange comments, which were seen at the time as indicting him of knowledge of details that only the killer would have recalled. According to his information in the files for these cases, the local teacher, Hans Jablager, discovered that Schlittenbauer had visited the remains after the demolished farm uh, in 1925. Upon being asked why he was there, Schlittenbauer stated that the perpetrator's attempt to bury the family's remains in the barn had been hindered because the ground was frozen. Now, this was seen as evidence at that time because Schlittenbauer had intimate knowledge of the conditions of the ground at that time of the murders. Although being a neighbor and familiar with the local land, he could have just been making an educated guess. Another speculation was that Schlittenbauer murdered the family after Victoria demanded financial support for young Joseph. 
Before his death in 1941, he actually, Schlittenbauer conducted and won several civil cases of slander against him from persons who described him as the murderer of the family. After this quick message, we'll be right back. If this is your first time tuning in, I encourage you to subscribe to the show so you can hear all the other episodes, as well as what we have coming up in the next few weeks. Gump Brothers Adolf Gump was listed as a suspect in as early as April 9th due to his connections with the Freikorps Oberland, which was a voluntary paramilitary group uh, organization in those years. In 1951, prosecutor Andreas Pop investigated brothers Adolf and Anton Gump in relation to the murders at the Hintrick effect. Their sister, Krasentina Mayer, claimed that on her deathbed that Adolf and Anton had committed the murders. As a result, Anton Gump had remained in police custody, but Adolf was already dead at this time in 1944. After a short time, however, Anton was dismissed again, and in 1954, the case against him was finally discontinued because he could not be proven to have been participating in the crime. Carl and Andreas S. In 1971, a woman named Teresa T. claimed a letter citing an event in her youth. At the age of 12, she witnessed her mother receive a visit from the mother of the brothers, Carl and Andreas S., the woman claimed that her sons were in Saddleburg, and they were the two that murdered the family in Hinterkaifecht. The mother said Andreas regretted that he had lost his penknife in the course of the conversation. In fact, when the farm was demolished in 1923, a pocket knife was found that could be, but it couldn't be clearly assigned to anybody. The knife could have been easily belonged to any one of the murder victims. This track was followed without results. The former maid, who moved out when she heard strange noises, she said she was certain that she had already seen the penknife in the yard during her services there. Peter Weber Peter Weber was named a suspect by Joseph Betts. The two worked together in the winter of 1919 and 1920 as laborers, and they shared a room. And according to Betts, Weber spoke about a remote farm, Hinterkaifecht. Weber only knew that it was an old couple that lived there with their daughter and two children. It's likely that he knew about the incest between Gruber and his daughter, but Betts testified that when he heard Weber talking about it, he had suggested killing the old man to get the family's money. When Betts didn't respond to the offer, Weber stopped talking about it. Thayer Brothers Thayer brothers were also suspected, according to statements from the former maid. The brothers had already committed several minor burglaries in the area before the crime. Riger, uh, the previous maid, said that Joseph Thayer stood in the window at night and asked her questions about the family, but she gave no answers to him. In a conversation, Joseph Thayer claimed that he knew which family member was sleeping in which room and stated that they had a lot of money. During their conversation, Riger noted that there was another person nearby. According to her statement, Joseph Thayer and a stranger had looked at the machine house and turned their eyes upward. 
and one of the final suspects was Paul Muller. Author Bill James, in his book, The Man from the Train, alleges a man named Paul Muller may have been responsible for the murders of the family. Muller was only suspect in an 1897 murder of a Massachusetts family. James believed that Muller killed dozens of victims based on his research of American newspaper archives. The Hinterkaifeck murders bear some similarities to Muller's suspected crimes in the United States, which included the slaughter of an entire family in their isolated home, use of a blunt-edged weapon that was a farm tool originally, moving and stacking the bodies of their victims, and apparent absence of robbery as a motive. James suspects that Muller, described as a German immigrant in contemporary media, might have departed in the U.S. for his homeland in 1912, after private investigators and journalists began to notice and publicize patterns of the family murders across state lines. Now, the legacy of this family is as tragic as their murders. Many books and newspaper articles have been devoted to their murder. A series of articles by Joseph Ludwig Hecker uh, in his continued series, which I can't pronounce, revived interest in the murders. A documentary film called Hinterfecht was, uh, in 1981 was based on uh, the original books. Hans Furtberg adapted those books and directed a film, which he shot on a Super 8 with sound, and he was also the cameraman. The film was shown regularly uh, in multiple towns around the area. Ten years later, in 1991, Reinhard Kylix's play, Hinker Kaifecht, Deutschland's, uh, was produced, and at the same time, Kurt K. Heimer produced another documentary, shot on location of the farm, and showed on television and local cinemas. Also in 1991, a radio station aired a documentary uh, that ran as a series of articles from the newspaper at the time. And in 2007, 15 students in the police academy examined the case using modern criminal investigation techniques. In their final report, which was written in German, they confirmed that the meticulousness of the investigation at the time, but criticized the lack of professional forensics. In particular, the failure to take fingerprints was criticized, as it was already common practice at the time. Although it is almost certain that the murderers can no longer be identified, all authors of the report independently agreed that whoever the main suspect was in this case... However, no names were mentioned out of consideration for their descendants. It tells me they didn't have anything or nothing solidified. In 2017, the last chapter of The Man from the Train, Bill James and his daughter, Rachel McCarthy James, briefly discussed the murders at Heintrich Effect. The authors explained the possibility that the German crimes might have been committed by, again, Paul Muller the titular serial killer authors believed killed several families in the United States under similar circumstances between the years 1898 and 1912. The murders attributed to Muller, including the uh, axe murders, known as the Villisca axe murders, and were apparently random nighttime home invasions in and near small railroad towns that left entire families bludgeoned to death with a blunt end of an axe. They were probably motivated by a sadistic and necrophiliac attraction to prepubescent girls. The authors also rate that the chances of Muller 
as the Hinterkaifeck killer was, quote, more or less a toss-up, but concluded, quote, there's no real reason to believe that it's not him. I hope you enjoyed tonight's episode. And if you like this episode, please consider leaving a comment. Also, if uh, you want to continue to support the podcast, you can subscribe. Uh, that helps me monetarily so I can continue to bring you episodes. You can follow my social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where I post daily, and I respond very quickly. Also, please consider the affiliate links below. Buzzsprout is one of the best ways to launch your professional podcast career. And if you sign up using the affiliate link, it helps me monetarily, but you also get a discount yourself. Also, Flavor, a whiskey club with explorers at heart, exclusive bottles, tasting boxes, special releases, and private bottlings all delivered to their members. Clicking the affiliate link below will also help me monetarily and also get you a discount. I very much hope you enjoyed tonight's episode. This is DJ, and you've listened to the Mythical True Crime Podcast. Good night. Thank you very much for listening tonight and being part of the Mythical True Crime community, hosted by me, DJ. Subscribe to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to get your weekly updates. And if you like what you hear, consider subscribing. Subscribing will directly support the show and the work that I'm doing. If you'd like to be a new supporter, consider clicking the link in the description box below. For less than a cup of coffee a month, you can help me continue to make great content for listeners everywhere. No commitment, cancel any time. This has been the Mythical True Crime Podcast. My name is DJ. Good night.